He wants to stop the advance of God's kingdom. When, when the real powerful Christians begin to stand up and do the works of God, it does stir up the enemy forces to stop it. He's trying to see if he can stop the advance of God's kingdom. But the Bible says that of the increase of his kingdom and government, there will be no end. Amen. As much as the devil tries to stop it, it is ever increasing. So we're going to talk again about the persecuted church. Pastor Shirley, if you want to hold that for a minute. And when I get it, probably be toward the end. I just want to make sure you kind of get it queued up so we can. uh, I don't know if we'll have to pass it around or maybe um, give it to Shannon Crowley and see if she can find that and print that out for you. And then uh, we'll have that. We can pass the picture around. Somebody being stole all your contacts and, you know, all your messing up your likes and stuff. So that's what they do, honey. That's what they do. So, but uh, anyway, I'm going to read some to you some more from Between Two Tigers. Here's the testimonies of Vietnamese Christians. And I, I think with all of my heart that when we were, this nation was involved in the Vietnam War, it was to bring freedom to the people there so that they could find God. You understand what I'm saying? That because the communists were were uh, after them, the Buddhists were after them, and they're, the way those people fought, they were fighting over something. It wasn't just land, and it wasn't just influence, but it was over eternal things, you know. And so we must always be mindful that that war, even though it had a bad reputation, see, it's easy to criticize things when people are doing things that are are not. Uh, that are controversial or don't have been have not been proven out yet and so there was a lot of negativity about that war a lot of criticism a lot of lies perpetrated a lot of uh, hurt was given to the returning uh, soldiers and i believe it's a, a, a trick of the enemy to keep a nation of people passive instead of being aggressive and and proactive the way this nation has always been and it has worked against us you understand it has really worked against us and so but we we really need to watch how we view things and always view them with the eye of eternity and with the eye of god's spirit so that we can get god's understanding of what's going on and god's answer to what's going on but i believe there were seeds sown during that war that liberated people enough to hear enough of the gospel so that what seeds were planted uh, have stayed there and have grown and they are some very rugged seeds over in that area because in Asia, you know, in some of the parts of Asia there that are more, I would say, Western, where they're more given over to uh, the kind of lifestyle that we have here. Places like Hong Kong that's really more European than it is Asian in many, many ways. But in some of the areas that are a little more rural, a little more grassroots, people have really clung to God and really consider the gospel to be precious and their life in Christ to be precious. And it's really refreshing to see it, you know, where you see Christianity in action, the way the Bible says we're supposed to live, where people are honored and privileged to be messengers and servants of the Most High God. It's a total difference from the way we approach it here in this nation. I've never seen so many people wanting to be ministers in my life and not considering it a holy thing. It's just something casual uh, where there's some kind of attraction now for this that's never been there before. 
because nobody wanted to be a preacher. I know when God called me, I know that we didn't have any preachers in our family. And then we find out most of them are called and hiding from God. You know, that's totally different from the way it is now. Everybody's a, an apostle and a prophet. Everybody's this or that. You understand? And so there's an attraction there that's luring a lot of people who are trying to get it in a carnal way instead of holy and a reverential way. When God called me, I thought it was, it was, it was just so beyond anything I thought would ever happen to me in my life, you know. And I had planned for a lot of great things to happen in my life, you know. I was going to school, you know, the place where they say it's going to be success for the rest of your life. But I found out that wasn't true. You know, you get behind the scenes and find out where how the game's played, you lose your respect for things. But there's one thing I've never lost respect for, and that is for the Word of God and the things of God. Amen? Always been precious to me, and I pray, God, that it always will be. So, Okay, so this chapter is called House Churches Spreading. So there are, we notice that there, the Between Two Thieves talks about uh, the nation of Vietnam, the two thieves are Buddhism and communism. I mean, between two tigers. I want to say thieves all the time. But it's between two tigers. And it shows these Vietnamese Christians just on their bikes driving through the jungle and their tigers on either side of them. So there's danger at every turn for the Christians in these nations. They're either going to be devoured. The, the Buddhists are looking to devour them. And the communists are looking to devour them. But the way that they survive is through the house church movement. It's not really a movement. It's just what they do. You know what I'm saying? I hate to say movement as though it's something like we see on television where somebody's out protesting, marching around, and it's just going to come and go. But these house churches are where the Christians meet. It's illegal for them to meet. Uh, it's illegal for them to preach. There's there's the Buddhist religion, and then the communist government approves certain churches that are dead churches, of course. You got me? So if you have a church that's alive, you know, keep it alive. Because the government will take over and cause churches to go dead. And that's what's being attempted in this nation. You can see it. It's small and it's subtle, but you can see it. You see the government's hand in what comes out of our mouths in the pulpits if they can get a hold of it. And so we have to fight these things because we'll be all these, you know, highfalutin ministers who are demanding private jets and they're going to sell them jets and go underground. You understand me? Because it's coming. See, the more the power's turned up and we want power in the church. We want power in believers. The enemy's making moves already in ways that we can't really stop real quickly. Because when he gets into our government and he gets to making laws that are anti-Christ and anti-Christians and anti-liberty and anti-freedom, then he's got a foothold there. And so we're going to have to learn that we're going to stand against it and fight it. Or we're going just, uh, you know, to bow to it and be compromised people and have state churches that are approved by the government. Everything we say is monitored by them. And so you get a glimpse of that and seeing because that's how these people live. And so we're standing against it and we're warring against it. But we've got to stand strong, folks. You can't, 
You can't. I remember when when that that uh, when Kim Davis said no to that signing. Now she felt that the her bosses would tell her it's okay. It, they really they really should have. You know why? They already if you're a vegetarian in Kentucky. They give you a pass on issuing hunting licenses. You're not required to sign a hunting license for somebody if you're a vegetarian. So she felt that her being a Christian would be a similar situation. She said, well, they get a vegan's a pass. I can get a pass. She had no idea she was going to spend five nights in jail for refusing. But see, we know that God over the vegetarians is the one in charge of all this nonsense. So he'll let his people have a pass any day. You know, what does he care? But if, he is, if it's a Christian wanting to say no and stand up against sin huh, and against unrighteousness, then we get a hard time. And so I saw many people, you know, Christians, Reverend this, Apostle that on Facebook. You just need to do your job and blah, 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 blah. I said, okay, here the compromisers are scared. Fearful people talk the most. Fear talks more than, than faith does. Faith says what's necessary. Fear doesn't know what's necessary. You got me? So all the fearful people speak up first. You know, proselytizing with their little, you know, rules and regulations and you can't do this and you got to do all this legalism. Amen. But God looks at the heart. There's a spirit behind every law. And if the spirit's not right and God's not the author of it, he's not going to put up with it. So all you got to do is do what God says. And so you once again, we find out who really is on the Lord's side. And so, but it's very, very important that when you know the word, you stand up for it. I don't care who you're in front of, you know. You're standing up for the Lord and he stands with you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to let them hurt you. He'll stand with you. So, but we see that in these writings and they're so precious for that reason. You know, this is, this is precious to me because I see that there are people in the world who really love God and how much they love him, more than their very lives and their own comfort. So anyway, this is a change of heart, mind, and hands. Uh, house church is spreading. Is that what, that's what they're talking about. And this man writes, he says, when I was a policeman, I met a preacher whom we called in for questioning about his religious activities. So the police can call you in and question you about your, what you believe. As a policeman, he watched the Quezon and Danang areas closely where communism is much stronger than around Ho Chi Minh City, Saigon. My area, Quezon, is known to be one of the most difficult areas in Danang province. I noticed that there were men who followed the Christian religion, but they didn't act like it. They were committing many crimes. We called in the pastor because these Christians were in his church. We wanted to reprimand him. The officials had me handle his case. I had worked with social crimes such as violence, theft, and homicide. In some cases, we would accuse people so we could just mark the crime off a chart and finish that case. Many Christians wouldn't talk much because they were afraid of me, but this pastor was not afraid. I was curious. When I asked him about religious matters, he gave me a gospel tract. He told me stories and many other things in the Bible, so, so many that I couldn't remember them all. I wanted to hear more. 
We talked for about three hours. Huh? Most of us don't have, you know, like five minutes. <laughs> Some people, when they're hungry, you have to feed them. You know what I'm saying? He was very polite and humble. I observed his attitude, the way this preacher slowly shared the gospel with me while I sat quietly beside my desk. He acted very upright. Whether he had committed a crime or not, he seemed to be a righteous man. I had a joyful time visiting with him. Not long after that meeting, I started going to church. The other policemen who worked with me did not know about this. I would ride my bicycle to the church during the day. I wasn't afraid. I wanted to go so much that I didn't care if I got caught. Not knowing what a church was, I sat in the pastor's home enjoying the beautiful songs they would sing. I didn't know these songs or understand them, but I listened to them intently. The pastor would invite me to eat in his home. He was not afraid of me, but I could tell the others were. Perhaps they were afraid because I was a policeman, but I don't know their hearts. I went to church regularly, but I did not know God yet. After a year, the pastor was transferred to another location, so I became greatly discouraged and stayed home. However, about five months after five months of not having a Bible, I hungered for the word and prayed. Finally, I met some workers of an evangelistic team who had been trained in the word. I had invited the Lord into my heart, but did not know for sure until these Christian workers shared with me. Now I did not worry about my job. Following the Lord is forever. My police job was only temporal. Whatever the Lord gives me, I will be happy with that. My favorite verse is, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16. The Lord gave me an opportunity to meet with these Christian brothers to pray and study the word for a year. I was seeing the Lord work in my life. The Lord also healed me. My hand was swollen very badly, and we had no money for treatment. So I prayed and said, I have no money. So, Lord, as you heal many Israelites in the Old Testament, would you heal me also? The Lord healed my hand immediately on the other side of the table. I was originally in the Army and then transferred to the police. After working in the police office for 12 years, I was notified that the police wanted to dismiss me. They didn't give me a reason. Some police said, now that you have God, you must sit sit aside. They put me in an office where I was isolated from my coworkers. They didn't give me any more work to do. I became very bored, so I quit. <laughs> After I left my profession, I started to farm a little piece of land that I had. I planted some white potatoes and rice. We live in a mud house with a thatched roof. The kitchen is next to the house. We cook with dry branches and every day carry water 500 meters from other people's wells because we don't have a well yet. We used to have kerosene, but 12 days ago, electricity was put in my home. Our house is near a mountain, so during the night, I hear many animals, tigers, deer, ravens, and many others that live in the jungle. I also hear crickets. We keep our window open so the moon can shine in. The wind blows through our one-room house. The house is very empty. We have beds with bamboo, one bed for the children and one bed for my wife and me. We have a woven mat on our bed. We must use good bamboo to last a long time or the beds will just collapse. Recently we had a flood so all of the rice crop my wife and I planted has been destroyed. The flood did not harm the house. 
houses in the area, only the lower field. Our whole family attends church. We have two daughters, one in ninth grade and one in first grade. Some of my friends said that since I would no longer join them in drinking, they would not have anything to do with me. But I have become even better friends with the people I have won to the Lord. We use our home as a meeting place for 30 people. We don't have chairs, so we sit on the floor. House churches are not allowed to have literature, but the official church can. If the police find that a house church prints materials, Bibles, hymns, songs, or anything, they take it away. We have 11 Bible lessons. We begin with our foundation in Christ and then study repentance and faith. The police have called me to the station twice already. The first time was when we were having a Bible study. We had 30 people in my house the the evening the police came. They fined each person 2,000 dong. Our people are very poor. All of us were called up to the police office. We all had to work 30 kilometers while the four policemen followed us in a jeep. They all had guns. If a Christian was quick, he could run off the road and return home. But the ones who were slow were put in line to walk to the police office. So They were old men and women, young men and women. Since it was summer, it was very dusty. Along the road, people watched us as we went by, especially children and other Christians belonging to our group. I walked in front, in the front. The office of the district police is a brick building with beautiful yellow tile. All 30 of us went into a big room. The police said I was responsible, so they released all the people except me. Now I was sitting on the other side of the table, being questioned by authorities, but sharing the gospel with them whenever I had a chance. After questioning me for three days, they wrote up a report and released me. Some of the police were sympathetic. Many police today don't know the Bible. They just think we have a foreign religion that will influence the people. They don't know why it is spreading so quickly. They know that many Christians are good, so that's why some police are not truly angry. One time they told me to do whatever I wanted, but not to let the church, the official church know. He says, if the official church finds out and reports it to the police, these same police will then arrest us. So you see religion working with government to oppress the gospel and the true people of God. See, the, 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 the state church reports the ones that are that are the true church that are just and he's trying to kill them off while they're young and they're babies and this happens in in Christianity folks you'll see mainline established denominations and churches picking on you know storefront churches or churches that are just getting started to see if they can run you out of town or or rail. It, it happened to us it's happened to us many times you know when I went to Detroit you know the people over there in Canada sent somebody to the church to inspect me and all this kind of stuff. You know the devil does this kind of stuff. But God, if you stay true to what God tells you to do, you just have to keep doing what God called you to do and pay no attention to these things. You know, use wisdom, but don't let that stop you from obeying God. So if if the official church finds out and reports to the police, the same police will then arrest us. See, it's probably easier for them to uh, win police over than it is to win the religious. Huh? So he says, I kept having meetings in my home as I have the only house church in the area. 
I am thankful to the Lord. When I first came to know him, everybody had closed their door against me. They mocked me and did all kinds of things. But now the Lord makes many want to come visit me. They give me help to reach different villages. Even the non-believers lend me money so I can buy a ticket for the bus. Sometimes I go by bicycle or by motorbike 30 to 40 kilometers away. The Lord has raised up many small groups in the villages I visit. If a brother asks me to come, I go and take Bibles with me for his house church and sleep on a floor mat for a few days. Can you imagine some of our ministers here? Plane ticket, penthouse suite, you know, first class all the way. This man's sleeping on a mat on the floor. He's a, an apostle, you know, going from, from city to city, planning and building and taking care of churches. He says, the Lord has raised up many small groups in the villages I visit. If a brother asks me to come, I go and take Bibles with me. That's something. The work is spreading much more among the Vietnamese, and I praise God for making a part, making me a part of the work. Amen. So that's house church is spreading. This one's echoes of praise in the jungle. I think this is the one. I yeah. Just read you this other one. Praise God. I didn't know it was that long. Okay, I'll, I'll start anyway. The beginning says the end of the line. Yeah. Uh, Tong Li Chan prison is terrible. It's at the end of the line. Many there are robbers, murderers, or guilty of social crimes. You know, it, it just amazes me how the enemy wants to imprison the gospel. You see it in the book of Acts. Whenever they they would get accused, they get arrested and taken to jail to see if they could stop the gospel from going forward. It's the same thing here, especially when it's just getting started. The devil likes to kill babies. You can tell that by abortion. Amen. Before they even get born, he wants them dead. And so if you're a baby church, a baby ministry or something like that, he wants to kill you before you even get started. He'll bring the biggest church in the city to step on you. And see if they can squeeze the life out of you while you're still a baby. You're a threat threat to the religious and to the religious system. He says, many there are robbers, murderers, or guilty of social crimes. Five pastors, including me, and one social criminal were put on a Russian microbus to that prison. The night before we left, I had a dream about a storm with a big eagle flying, but I did not understand it. When the bus reached the prison, the guard transferred us to the local officer. When we stepped out of the bus, I saw many prisoners. They had on short pants and bare backs. On their backs, all had the tattoo of an eagle. The dream that the Lord gave me was fulfilled. He gave me peace, a promise to protect me and all the pastors in this terrible situation. The Lord has protected me in my work. This is so important to remember. You don't have to compromise. You don't have to fear. You don't have to shrink back or change. You can step out in boldness and speak God's word because he protects you. He protects you. What are we afraid of? The Lord has protected me in my work. The area where I and others preach the gospel is in Lamdong, 
Baolak. It's about 200 kilometers from Ho Chi Minh City. Many people have received Jesus among the Ko people. There are 500 new believers now. During the last six months of 1990, the Lord sent Christians to come and train us in the word. During that time, the police arrested three preachers who had taught us for five days. The three preachers arrested were Brother Ho, Brother Hong, and Brother No. They were in prison for two months and each fined 100,000 dong. My co-worker and neighbor, Brother uh, Vu Min San, and I were later called to the police station after several times over many months. Then in early January 1991, when I returned from sharing the gospel, the police surrounded my house and Brother Zan's house next door. There were five or six police in the jeep. One ran straight into my house and said, stand up. He had a piece of paper with the words, urgent arrest. I had only a few minutes to say goodbye to my wife and children, and then they handcuffed me and took me to the, to the Jeep. Brother Juan was also arrested. They took us to the prison in the district province where they kept us for 22 days. They questioned me many times and told me that Christianity is an American religion and that the Tin Lan Church gospel is from the CIA. I answered them, no, we only witness for Jesus Christ. We do not do politics. They isolated me in a room with no light. Brother Zwan was in another uh, cell. Days later, they also arrested a young tribal preacher, Kay Phillip. He was in the room next door. A long-term prisoner who brought, a long-term prisoner who brought the food told me. Inside the prison, I was very hungry for the word of God. My wife tore out several pages of our Bible, wrapped bread around them, and gave the package to me. This got by the police. I hid the word of God in my little tattered old bag, which was so bad that the police didn't look inside. I tried to find a way to contact Brother K. Phillip to share some pages with him. Later on, they transferred me to a bigger cell. Brother K. Philip was next door, so I gave him my Bible pages through the bars of the door. We would exchange a few pages with each other as, as we finished reading them. Brother K. Philip, Brother Zwan, and I were put in a line together with the social criminals to be videotaped. We were considered political prisoners. The chief of police, a general in this area, told us, I will keep you in prison for two years. Our files went to the Central Bureau, and the Domestic Affairs Bureau continued to review them. One day, they said, prepare your clothes and go, to, go out to the Jeep. While we gathered together for the trip to another prison, Brother K. Philip was worried because we kept the Bible pages inside our pockets. I answered, don't worry, the Lord will protect us. So they put us in the prison jeep, chained our hands and feet together, and videotaped us while they transferred us to Daylat Prison, 120 kilometers away. We prayed continually on the way there. We didn't know where they were taking us. Many people on buses looked down on us, thinking that we were robbers. They stopped at a prison where criminals are held temporarily. When we reached the cell, we were with the chief of the room. We called them the Eagles. We are older, they are older prisoners who check on things, search bags and everything. The Lord helped us. When the Eagle looked at the pages of the Bible, he thought they were rotten. 
He crumpled them and threw them on the floor. An officer from the Central Bureau in Hanoi came to Dalat to interrogate us, so we had to be brought to Dalat City. We stayed in Dalat, but were under the direct supervision of Hanoi Domestic Affairs. All of the officers were from North Vietnam. They were taller than me, with a lighter skin color, and speak with a different accent. They sat in green uniforms opposite me and had many documents on my case. When we first reached the prison, Brother K. Philip was placed in a tiny concrete cell with chains on both of his feet. If you stand up, you can reach the ceiling. If you lie down, your head and feet touch the opposite walls. Inside K. Phillips' room, he didn't know if it was day or night. Each person receives 10 liters of water daily for washing and everything else. K. Phillip was held in this isolation cell for six months with no bath except for the little drinking water he put on a napkin to wash himself. Brother Zwan was put in a larger room with 10 social criminals. According to prison law, a new prisoner will be beaten and have all of his things stolen. I guess the prisoners do that. But when Brother Juan came in, the Lord covered him so that he wasn't beaten. The chief prisoner told Juan to stand up, looked through all his clothes, and asked, What crime did you commit? He answered, I am a preacher of Jesus. The prisoner laughed at him. They removed his chains and showed him the place where he must sleep. It was at the end of the room near the toilet, very dirty. He sat next to a young boy who had committed social crimes and was covered in lice from his head to his feet. You cannot imagine how Zwan felt. He was told to sleep near this boy where he could be attacked by the lice. In my room, I started to share the gospel. Many received Jesus and were joyful. The police continued to call me for questioning. They charged me with spreading superstition. A policeman wrote on my chart, superstitious, and tried to force me to sign. You see how in these societies, it's all intellectual, ideological. There are no real crimes here. They they just will invent something because they are opposite of what you believe. Now, you think about this as being extreme. But how extreme is it that now you can't tell somebody it's wrong to be uh, in sin? I don't care what kind of sin, especially homosexual sin. You're told not to say these things, and if you say these things, you're accused. It's all verbal and names now, but they're calling these hate crimes, folks, where people can sue you. They can take your money. See, in this nation, they get you where it hurts because we got some cush prisons, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, some of them really ain't that bad, you know, if you if you don't want much in life. But the thing of it is... They will steal your hope and steal your livelihood. If somebody can take your house, if you make one mistake and they can take everything you own, see what I'm saying? And it happens to people every day in this country. You you uh, don't want to bake a cake with two people of the same sex on the cake. So they sue you and they steal everything that you own. People are losing their houses, their futures, their bank accounts. It's long gone. And so it's the same thing, folks, the same seed in in people who live in this bubblegum world of of positive thoughts and happy church and positive church and not understanding warfare. It it burns me up to see 10,000 people. 
that call themselves believers and Christians not being told to resist the devil, not being told to pray, not being taught and told how to resist these things. Said police continue to call me for questioning. They call me superstitious and try to force me to sign a paper. But I told the policeman, I am a preacher. I share about Jesus and don't talk about superstition, so I won't sign this paper. The policeman shoved the table and threatened to put me in an isolation cell, but I still would not sign. The guard sent me to a small isolation cell with another prisoner who was sentenced for life for pushing a man into a stone and killing him. Other Earlier, Brother K. Philip had shared the gospel with this man. So I continue to follow up with him. You see, in everything in your life, God has a purpose. But you won't find it whining, crying, screaming, telling people it's unfair. They don't treat me right. When am I going to be released? I have rights. I can get out of here. All this kind of stuff, it does you no good. You've got to find out the higher meaning for your situation. I don't care what it is. There's always a higher meaning for it. And we've got to find those things. If we're going to survive as a, as a holy people in a sinful world, we've got to find the higher purpose in things. He says, he had shared the gospel with us, so I continued to follow up with him. This prisoner began to pray wholeheartedly to the Lord. In this place, it's very cold. I slept on a piece of wood near the toilet bucket. I remembered the psalm that my wife had given me on a torn page from the Bible, Psalm 107.6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. In this cell, I raised my hands to the Lord and prayed and thanked him because I believed that he would deliver me out of the place, this place to the interrogation room. Soon the police called me again and said, are you willing to sign? I said, no. And they put me back in the isolation cell. I knew the Lord heard me pray that night. He used a captain of the PC-15 to deliver me. The policeman was in charge of the temporary imprisonment of different persons in the area. When the policeman under him wanted me to remain in the isolation cell, the captain ordered, send him back to the bigger cell with the other social criminals. The policeman who worked with him came to this captain and argued, this prisoner is very stubborn. You must put him in isolation. But the captain said, I will be responsible for his health, so take him back to the bigger cell. Inside the prison, it was very difficult to share the gospel because the police are always watching. They also have informants, informers. But the Lord led me to the ones I could trust. Because this was a temporary prison, many were transferred. During the eight months that I was there, eight months that I was there, I shared the gospel with 20 prisoners. So when I came back from isolation, there were four or five Christians there. These believers happily took my hand and hugged me. When the eagle checked me, this time he threw my Bible pages away, but I had memorized them in the eagle's nest. I was sent to Tong Li Chan labor camp with the other prisoners, preachers, including um, Ho An, Brother K. Philip, and Brother Zwan. That's when I had the dream about a storm and a big eagle flying. The Russian bus we rode, those Russians giving them buses, you know, communists. 
A Russian bus we rode in was an army green that didn't have a name to identify it. We were chained to each other, and on the back of our clothes we had to write CT, which means a person being sent for re-education. The trip to Tong Li Chan prison was nine hours long. We drove from early morning until about four or five o'clock in the afternoon. There were three young policemen to guard us. One knew that we were all pastors. So on the way, he said, if you want to buy bread or anything on the road to eat, I will buy it for you. They led us down to go to the toilet. And because we were pastors, they also took off our chains. But the social criminal reprimand, uh, but the social criminal remained bound. We were very happy knowing that the Lord had opened a door for us to be together. We had our own revival and were filled with joy as we worshiped the Lord. From a bus nearby, the people looked at us, shocked and amazed to see such joy in prisoners. The guards were sitting in the back, the front, and the middle, looking at us very curiously. One policeman asked, why are these prisoners acting like this? When the bus reached the area, the guard transferred us to the local officer. Seeing the tattoos, I remembered the vision I had of the storm and the eagle. The police shaved our heads and allowed us pastors to stay together. All of us pastors labored like the other prisoners, clearing the jungle with big machetes, sawing wood and plowing the land. Every day the prisoners had to work hard, but the last prison director took bribes. Both he and the eagles took the food so there was not enough food for us. In the prison, we were very hungry and skinny. When there was food, we would receive only two bowls of thin soup made with rice. So in heavy labor, some prisoners could not survive, and many on the labor line fainted. That's why the prisoners would stab one another, fighting for food. When they go out to work during the day, they find wire and metal pieces from mines that had exploded in the day during the war, in the area during the war. They hide these to make knives. Every week, somebody is wounded and taken to the prison hospital. The prisoners who had been there for a long time told us, you guys have come here when the prison is in a peaceful state. Before you came, there was fighting and much revenge among the prisoners. Sometimes they would throw a burning plastic bag in the face of a prisoner, which would burn his face terribly. We praised the Lord because the new director, Chu Wan Din, had changed the situation for the better. The new director allowed the families of the prisoners to send them food. The prison officials gave us 500 grams of rice per day. We would share our food with the other prisoners who received none from home. We heard that Pastor Hung and several other tribal preachers were arrested. Hung and the other tribal men didn't have enough food to eat, but they set a good example by doing the forced labor even though they were weak from hunger. They picked leaves off a bush and cooked them with some vegetables, but it was not enough. The eagles inside the camp tried to rob our things. One time an eagle noticed preacher Kay Phillips' good pants and told his disciple, go and tell him I want to borrow his good pants. We told him that we don't have many pants, we just have enough to wear. They said, lend him yours and he will give you his old pants. Then in a show of power, the eagle made his own disciple kneel down, took out his belt, and beat him cruelly in front of the Christians. In one area, there were four long rooms with about 200 to 300 prisoners in each one. After doing heavy labor all day, we would come back to our cell block and be under the control of the eagles. 
Instead, he letting us rest, sleep, and pray. The eagles would create many activities to punish us. Every morning at 5 o'clock, after the prisoners washed and groomed themselves, the eagles made everyone sit still in a line before going to work. Under the eagles' control, we suffered with heavy labor in the cells as well as outside in the fields. When I first came to Tong Li Chan, I was assigned to a team shoveling the land. There were 17 to 20 people in one team. Two police watched us. Then I worked for a few days. When I worked for a few days, the chief policeman called me and said, Tomorrow you will go and boil water for me. I returned to my work but didn't know what that meant. Another prisoner says, You will be very happy to boil water because you will not do heavy labor like us. But on the other hand, you have to buy two bags of noodles to cook for them every day and buy cigarettes for them to use every day. Even though you will not have to do anything, you have to use your own money to pay for all of this, including buying the tea and making the tea for them to drink. I dreamed that night that I was pouring a sack of tea into a big container of water. In the morning, I prayed to the Lord, but I didn't have peace. The Lord showed me what I was to do about this. A social criminal would be very happy to take care of this work since this was one way of bribing. But as for me, a preacher, I I wouldn't do that. I went straight to the policeman and said, I cannot do it. He said, then you can go and shovel. I told him, I believe that the Lord will strengthen me. The prisoners and the police were shocked, thinking that I was crazy for refusing something good like this. So they offered, why don't you choose a better Uh, Why don't you choose a better labor place? The place where we worked was a fast 45-minute walk from the camp. They assigned me and some of the other prisoners to work in a dam full of shallow water. We had to clear out the weeds and grass, then prepare the area for growing rice. One time we were all punished for a week. We had to shovel from morning till evening, and each prisoner had to shovel 200 square meters of ground a day. During the monsoon season, it rained the whole day, and we had only short pants to wear. In this deserted area, there were a lot of snakes and centipedes and jungle bees that stung us. At the same time, we had to fight uh, with the thorns under our feet. The water was full of leeches. We called them buffalo leeches because they were as big as a finger. We had to watch each other's skin and shovel at the same time so that whoever saw a leech would pull it off the other man and throw it far away. If we would not finish the work assigned to us, the guards put us in a prison within the prison. It's a very small place where we could have only one glass of water and one bowl of rice a day. There were no mosquito nets. Pastor Nguyen was put in there for two weeks. Exhausted, I prayed, Lord, save me. While I shoveled, I meditated upon the word because it comforted me. Echoes of praise. Many Saiting tribal people lived and worked around the camp. Their children didn't have any education. Often as they cared for the buffalo, they walked through the areas where we prisoners worked. Usually these children had no food. Before we came to Tong Li Chan prison, the people there had never heard of Jesus. We were certain that the Lord would open the door for us to preach the gospel to them. When the brothers and sisters came to visit us in the prison, they started to share about their contact with the, the, with the Se Tien tribe there. The Se Tien tribe worked on the edge of the woods. Our team of Christians began to secretly share the gospel with them. Many became Christians. 
They have a strong faith in the Lord, even though they are very poor, lacking food and clothes. Jesus changed their lives completely, and they are so joyful in the life of Jesus. Now thousands of the Setian people have become Christians. We were always watched while we worked in the jungle. We could not share the gospel openly, so we had a code word when we saw the tribal people. We would say, hallelujah. If one was a Christian, we would know right away because he would reply, hallelujah. A pastor from the city had privately taught them how to sing worship songs. One time while we were working and meditating on the Lord, we heard gospel songs floating out through the trees. Children were singing, making an echo all over the jungle. The Lord comforted my heart through the voices of these children. Although the police guarded us carefully inside the prison at Tong Li Chang, we shared the gospel with many other prisoners and many other prisoners believed in Jesus. We also shared the gospel while we were holding our shovels, standing in line to go to work. We would raise our hand and worship God while laboring in the field. We couldn't sing loud because a guard was still there, so we sang very quietly. When we ate lunch together in the field, whoever memorized a verse would tell another, then sharing the word of God, thus sharing the word of God. The police changed things all the time. Sometimes we pastors were together in the living in a in a in the room having our lunch. Sometimes we were scattered in different sections of the camp. We memorized many verses and shared them with each other, such as Philippians 4:13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Psalm 107:6, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, he delivered them out of their distresses. Psalm 23 and many others. We were very happy when we listened to the word because it revived us. Some of the police called me a pig and humiliated me in different ways. But the Lord also brought some good people in the police circle who treated me very well. For example, I met a police colonel who was in prison for 20 years because he had helped someone escape from the country. When he met with me, he still had 15 more years to serve. He put his hand on my shoulder and told me, you preacher, when you go home, remember, remember to pray for me because I have believed in Jesus in prison. He told me that while he was still a colonel, he had arrested many preachers and pastors. He was an atheist, but the first three months he was in prison, he could not sleep. One pastor nearby told him, if you believe in Jesus, you will see a miracle. That night he kneeled down alone praying, Jesus, I don't know who you are, but if it's true that Jesus is God who created this world and created me, you give me a sign. It's been four months and I still cannot sleep. If you are real, then give me a good night's sleep tonight. That night he, he slept well for the first time in four months. While in prison, we listened, listened to Pastor Nguyen as he taught us to try different ways to share the gospel and to take care of new converts. Pastor Nguyen also had a, to labor very heavily in that camp. Although he suffered with rheumatism and swollen legs, he still had to walk 45 minutes each way to work in the field. Many times the pain was so great he could not hold back his tears. He walked with a stick and somebody had to help him go to the field. Pastor Hahak in a, in a barrel. Another Christian pastor, Lo Ben Hin, told us the story of a tribal pastor named Hahak. After Lo Ben Hin was released, he was transferred to North Vietnam. Pastor Hahak was put in prison many times, once for seven months. The latest news is that he has witnessed to 700 members of his tribe and they all became Christians. 
Serving the Lord in the highlands is very difficult. The police always accuse pastors of doing politics. They don't understand that this pastor is only preaching the gospel. Once while interrogating Pastor Hahak, a policeman kicked him in the face with the heel of his shoe, breaking one of his teeth. Afterwards, they chained him outside in a metal barrel placed in the ground. It was very hot, and he had only one glass of water and a small bowl of rice each day. He wore only short pants and no shirt. At night in the highland region, the weather gets very cold. He was held in that barrel for three months. During that time, Pastor Hahak prayed and asked the Lord to help him. The Lord gave him strength. He saw a light in heaven shine on him like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. The Lord gave him new strength so he could get through this. Very large snakes crawled through the holes in the barrel and slid over his feet. Since his hands and feet were chained, he couldn't do anything except pray as he watched the snakes. The Lord delivered him and not one of the snakes bit him. The police told me that I would be in prison for 27 years, but the Lord brought me out after only two and a half years. Today, I am in charge of a mission team. I am very thankful to the Lord because he has used many American Christians to help believers in Vietnam. I thank the servants of God in America who have been praying for us here. See, prayer is so important. The Lord uses you to deliver us out of prison. I pray the Lord will bless the servants of God in America. In the name of Jesus, I love you and and your country from my heart. I pray for America and know that God blesses America because there are so many missionaries and good Christians who come from there to bless other countries. I know that there are many problems in America, but I am confident that God will continue to use many new generations of Christians to keep the foundation of the kingdom of God solid in your country. Amen. Praise God. So he's praying for us, just like we're praying for them. The prayers of the righteous avail much. Amen. It doesn't matter how big your church is or how great you you are in the sight of man or the sight of God, but it's the righteous prayers that God hears. So a praise report we have, and then we're going to pray for um, a persecuted church. We're going to pray our protection against persecution. You got a copy of that, Miss Nolan? I think I'll use yours. I have been using mine, but I think I left it in my bag. There was an article t- uh, this past week uh, on the, this is from Yahoo News. So, you know, it's like a, as, maybe, I don't know who, which wire service puts this out. But anyway, it says Kurds retake Christian villages from Iraqi jihadists. Arbil, Iraq, Kurdish Pesh, Peshmega forces on Tuesday recaptured seven Christian villages in northern Iraq and clashes with Islamic State jihadist, an officer and a cleric said. Tens of thousands of Iraqi Christians, most of them Chaldeans, fled their homes when ISIS or IS militants launched, launched a renewed drive in the north in early August. Iraq's largest Christian town, Karkosh, and dozens of other villages were all but emptied and what Christian leaders described as the worst disaster for minority for the minority in centuries. And so I know a lot of you remember when that was going on. ISIS was beheading Christians, chasing them out of town and, and ran through that uh, area. 
It says on Tuesday, Peshmerga forces ousted ISIS militants from seven villages west of the Kurdish capital Arbil during fighting in which rockets and mortar rounds were used, a senior officer said. We liberated those villages with the support of U.S. aircraft, Major Sadar Ali said, referring to the Nineveh Plains area between Arbil and Mosul, the main ISIS hub in Iraq. The United States, whose Air Force has been targeting IS jihadists in the area since early August, has yet to confirm it carried out the latest reported strikes. Kurdish Peshmerga fighters hold a position on the front line in the Gewer district, 40 kilometers south. The officer said many of the homes were booby-trapped by the jihadists before they retreated. The Peshmerga, the main security forces of the autonomous Kurdish region in northern Iraq, are receiving arms and ammunition from countries, including the United States and France. A source in the Catholic Chaldean Church told AFP that Kurdish forces had made progress Tuesday. The Peshmerga managed to liberate several villages. Militants have now fled from there, the cleric said, on condition of anonymity. The villages were important because their location close to the towns of Bartala and Karkash are, are uh, because of their proximity to those cities, he added. IS jihadist fighters on June 9th launched an offensive that saw them seize the second city of Mosul and sweep through much of Iraq's Sunni heartland in a matter of days. In another push in early August, they targeted minority groups, took control of the country's largest dam, and moved within striking distance of Arbo. That prompted Washington to send warplanes back into the skies over Iraq for a bombing campaign to support efforts by Kurdish and federal forces to recapture lost ground. IS militants have also seized large areas of neighboring Syria and beheaded three Western hostages, calling it an, an international outcry. So you see ISIS is moving, but there are some people who are moving against them. So I found some information on the Peshmerga so that you'll understand who these people are and why they fight. Did you get that picture printed, Shannon? Pastor Shirley, why don't you pass that around? Because when uh, I saw that one on the Internet, there's uh, we have a friend, uh, one of our friends that... Um, uh, on our Facebook page, sent that around, and uh, it shows who these people really are. It'll shock you so, to see uh, who these people are and what they look like. But Peshmerga uh, means one who confronts death. That's the meaning of that. They are a military force of the autonomous region of Iraq, Kurdistan. The overall formal head of the Peshmerga is the president of Iraqi Kurdistan. This is the the overall formal head of them. The Peshmerga force itself is largely divided and controlled separately by the Democratic Party Party of Kurdistan and Patriotic Union of Kurdistan, although both pledge allegiance to the Kurdistan regional government. Efforts are underway to gather the entire force under the Ministry of Peshmerga Affairs. Peshmerga forces are responsible for defending the land, people, and institutions of the Kurdistan region. Because the Iraqi army is forbidden by law from entering Iraqi Kurdistan, the Peshmerga, along with other Kurdish security subsidiaries, are responsible for the security of the Kurdish region. These subsidiaries include uh, Asayesh, 
somebody else and somebody else. These are intelligence agencies and the military police. In 2003, during the Iraq War, Pershmerga was said to have played a key role in the mission to capture Saddam Hussein. In 2004, Kurdish anti-terror forces captured al-Qaeda key figure Hassan Ghul, who revealed the identity of Osama bin Laden's messenger, which eventually led to the Operation Neptune Spear and the death of Osama bin Laden. Following an unexpected large-scale ISIS offensive against Iraqi Kurdistan in August 2014, Peshmerga and other Kurdish forces from neighboring countries have been waging an all-out war against ISIS in both Iraq and Syria. So you never hear about this stuff. We're led to believe in this country that those people over there are not trying to defend themselves. There's nobody lifting a finger and it's, you know, just sit back and let these terrorists take over everything. But that's not true. There's always people who will fight back, folks, always. History of Peshmerga. The Kurdish warrior tradition of rebellion has existed for thousands of years, along with aspirations for independence, and early Kurdish warriors fought against the various Persian empires, Ottoman empires, and British empire. So they're older than our army is. You got it? These people have been around defending themselves for years. However, the term itself was only coined in the mid-20th century by the late Kurdish writer Ibrahim Armad. Historically, the Peshmerga existed only as guerrilla organizations. But under the self-declared Republic of Mahabad, the Peshmerga became an official army of the Republic led by Mustafa Barzani. After the fall of the Republic, the execution of head of state Mohammed, Peshmerga forces reemerged as guerrilla organizations that would go on to fight the Iranian and Iraqi governments for the remainder of the century. In Iraq, most of these Peshmerga were led by Mustafa Barzani and the Kurdistan Democratic Party. In 1975, the Peshmerga were defeated in the Second Iraqi-Kurdish War. A leading member of the KDP left the same year to revitalize the resistance and founded the Patriotic Union of Kurdistan. This event created the baseline for the political discontent between the KDP and PUK, that is to that to this day divides Peshmerga forces and much of Kurdish society in Iraq, Iraqi Kurdistan. After Mustafa Barzani's death, his son Masoud Barzani took his position. As tensions increased between the KDP and PUK, most Peshmerga fought to keep a region under their own party's control while also fighting off Iraqi army incursions. Following the first Persian Gulf War, Iraqi Kurdistan fell to the state of civil war between the two major Kurdish parties, KDP and PUK, and Peshmerga forces were used to fight each other. The civil war officially ended in September 1998. Thank God they quit fighting each other. When Barzani and Talibani signed the Washington Agreement, establishing a formal peace treaty. In the agreement, the parties agreed to share revenue, share power, deny the use of northern Iraq to the Turkish Kurdistan Workers' Party, and not allow Iraqi troops into the Kurdish regions. By then, around 5,000 Kurds had been killed from both sides, and many more were evicted for being on the wrong side. 
In the years after, tension remained high, but both parties moved toward each other. And in 2003, they both took part in the overthrowing of Saddam Hussein's regime as part of the Iraqi war. They remained on good terms, forming what is now Iraq Kurdistan, Iraqi Kurdistan. Unlike other militia forces, the Peshmaga were never, pro, never prohibited by Iraqi law. In 2015, for the first time, Peshmerga soldiers received urban warfare and military and training, intelligence training from foreign trainers, the combined joint task force operation inherent resolve. The exact size of Peshmerga forces is unknown, but there are different estimates ranging from as few as 80,000 all the way up to 250,000. These forces are organized into 36 military brigades controlled separately with little or no intercoordination by the KDP, PUK, and Ministry of Peshmerga Affairs. Peshmerga force, like much of Iraqi Kurdistan, is plagued by frequent allegations of corruption, partisanship, nepotism, and fraud. These allegations give high-ranking military positions to only a few clansmen, so forth and so forth. There was a result... As a result of the split nature of the Peshmerga force, there is not a central command center in charge of the entire force. And Peshmerga units instead follow separate military hierarchies depending upon political allegiance. Efforts have since been made to minimize partisanship, including the banning of partisan flags from the battlefield. A political form is also a reform is also currently underway to place the entire force under the single command of a regional government. As of January 2015, 12 out of 36 brigades have reportedly been put under the control of the KRG, with remaining 70% of Peshmerga forces still controlled by the region's two main parties. Due to limited funding and the vast size of these forces, the KRG has long pled to greatly downsize its forces from large numbers of low-quality forces to smaller but more effective and well-trained force. Consequently, in 2009, the KRG in Baghdad engaged in discussions about incorporating parts of Peshmerga forces into the Iraqi army Army in what would be the 15th and 16th Iraqi Army Divisions. However, after increasing tension between Erbil and, and Baghdad regarding the disputed areas, a transfer was largely put on ice. Some Peshmerga were already transferred out but reportedly deserted again, and there are allegations that former forces remain loyal to the KRG rather than their Iraqi chain of command. While the majority of Peshmerga forces are Muslims, they're also Christian and Yazidi units fighting under the direction of Peshmerga forces. Although almost entirely made up of men, Peshmerga forces have been known to include small numbers of women since its formation and currently have 600 women in their ranks. These female KDP Peshmerga have so far been refused access to the front line and are mostly used in logistics and management. Well, that's not true anymore. <laughs> all right, so that's all about them. If you look at that picture, you'll see that most of these people are women, the ones who took over that area and uh, are fighting in Iraq to release those cities that have been taken over by ISIS. And they are confronting the enemy because they, it's in their blood to rebel and confront anybody who tried to, tries to take them over. 
So God knows how to raise people up. He knows who to use, how to use them. The thing that we want to understand is that as we pray and we believe that God answers our prayer and he does what we ask him to do, he knows how to raise these people up. Some of these women, they said, are nursing mothers who left their babies in the care of other women so that they can come and fight. And so there are people who are so dedicated to their freedom and dedicated to putting down terrorism and putting up. They don't care. They don't care that these people have uh, put everybody else in fear. You know, we've got a whole government, our, our White House and our Congress is bowing down to this kind of nonsense and not wanting. We don't want to get involved and we're anti-war. And, oh, you've got to fight for something. Because if you don't fight the real enemy, we'll wind up fighting each other, which is what we're doing in this nation. You know, we don't have any problem accusing one another, fighting Christians, putting down God's people, doing all kinds of things in the name of freedom. And the real enemy is out there laughing us. But God has a people that he would raise up. And I know at the beginning of this year, especially, I started, we started to come against this ISIS thing so that we could definitely know that, that God is raising up somebody to kill this force of people and get rid of them. Because you can't depend on your government. You can't depend on, uh, the military. You can't depend on anybody but God. And so as we confront this thing in the spirit, God raises up natural people in the natural to come against and fight and succeed and win. So your prayers ensure the victory of when these women go out to fight, they're just following their instinct that they're fighting back an enemy who is fighting them. But their victory is determined by whether or not there's prayer whether or not they're believers who wanting them free, believers who who care about people, care that they're being oppressed, uh, care that they're being uh, persecuted, care that they're being imprisoned. You know, we must care about these people. And I know you do care. And so on top of care, we're going to pray and we're going to see all of this stuff come down because it's not right. It's not God's will. It's against his plan for these people. He's given everybody the right to life, liberty, and to pursue a life in God. You understand what I'm saying? It's it's that way. It's life, liberty, and a life in God. You know, and that's happiness. And so what we want to do is ensure that these people live to fight another day. We're going to put the names of these Peshmerga. They're going to be part of who we we ask God to help them and strengthen them so that they can reclaim their territory. The ones who are Christians, that they would be able to worship God and, and begin to win people over to Christ the way they're supposed to without fear. So that they can go forth and do what God wants them to do and live as free people to worship God. Amen. So why don't you pray in the spirit. Father in heaven we thank you. That you are the God of all flesh. And nothing is too hard for you. We thank you Lord. For these Peshmerga forces. The fighting women and the fighting men. Who will stand and take their land back. Who will stand and make a stand. And we thank you Father. We bind the evil report. Spoken against them. That they don't fight. And they're not willing to fight. And if somebody doesn't come and liberate these people, they'll stay in bondage and they'll stay in fear. 
We take authority over this false report in Syria about those people having to flee that nation because that nation is so bad. I thank you, Lord, that those people will stand and fight, that they will resist the enemy, that they will take their nation back. And, Father, we thank you that you have people there who are Christians who will tell them about the one true and living God and give them a a motivation for fighting. Give them an understanding that they are fighting for something. Give them a reason to fight, God, and give them the power to fight and the authority to fight. Satan, we break your murderous power in the name of Jesus. We bind your, your lying tongue. We bind these false reports. We bind discouraging reports that would come to the ears of people, especially people in this nation who are so quick to believe whatever they read and whatever they hear. We release a good report, Father. We release a true report about what is going on in this world because we know that the gospel is ever increasing, that people are ever increasing in the knowledge of you, that you have sent people into these countries to win the loss for you, Father. And we say that the loss will be won. These nations will be liberated to serve you. They will be liberated to come into your knowledge and your kingdom. They will be liberated, Father, to serve and worship the living God. So we thank you for your mandate on these nations. We thank you for your protection over these people who are rising up to take their lives back, Father. And we know that you have a plan for their salvation. And we would agree with your plan. And we thank you, Lord, for their protection. We say that we re- they submit to God, resist the devil, and he must flee. We command the enemy to flee from them seven ways. Vengeance belongs to you, O God. We resist retaliation from our accusers. We are serving you. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You who sit in the heavens are laughing. Behold their threatenings, Lord, and stretch forth your hand to heal, O God. Do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. I say the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let them fall by their own counsels. Lord, judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my integrity that's in me. Let the mischief of they who persecute me return upon his own head. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Thank you for teaching my hands to war so that the bow of steel is broken in my arms. Thank you. You've given me the necks of my enemies. Shut the lives of the the mouths of the lions that roar their lives against us. Cause the tongue of the wicked persecutors to cleave to the roof of the mouth. Stop the pointing of the finger against your servant. Stop those who point the finger against me without a cause and who hate me. It's time for you to work, Lord. They have made void your law. Lord, we know that it's nothing for you to help. Help us, O Lord, our God. Save us according to your mercy. Let my hands prosper and prevail against my enemies. Whether they be foreign enemies, whether they be domestic enemies, all enemies, Lord. Let my hands prosper and prevail against my enemies. But the Lord is with us as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore, our persecutors shall stumble. They shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed. They shall not prosper. And their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. 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 Thank you, Lord, for people who resist the devil. Thank you, Lord, for people who won't be satisfied being dispossessed from their land. 
Thank you, Lord, who are people who are not afraid of terrorists. We thank you for that, Lord. We bless you. And, Lord, we thank you to raise up men in our government, men and women in our government who are fearless. Thank you, Lord. Put a fearlessness in the hearts. Our next president, Lord, we ask that person would be fearless in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. We bless you. And we bind any influence over our current president that would cause him to bow to any foreign foe, any domestic foe. Any foe, Lord. Any enemy of yours, an enemy of your kingdom, an enemy of your gospel. He will not bow to them, Father. Though hand join in hand, righteous are always delivered, Lord. The righteous are always delivered. And their seed are delivered, O God. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that as righteous people, we are not afraid. We are mighty and fearless, O God. Mighty and fearless. Mighty and fearless. Mighty and fearless. And we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, if those Vietnamese pastors can be mighty and fearless, we can be mighty and fearless. Father, we thank you to help them as they endure hardness. Thank you as they go from house to house, preaching your gospel, winning converts to you, Lord. We thank you that Vietnam will be turned to Christian, to a Christian nation in Jesus' name. That will be all Christians, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We know this was your plan from the beginning, that the gospel would come to that land. The gospel would come to Asia. And, Lord, I just ask you to prick the hearts, the consciences of your people. Father, Asian pastors who can give to these people, move them, Lord, to give in Jesus' name. Asian pastors who are squandering money on foolish things because the money's there. Just put shame on them, Lord, and let them return to you with all of their hearts and spend the rest of their lives working for you in sincerity and in truth in Jesus' name. Father, we ask you to move on the hearts of people who are just in it for money, to turn from their wicked ways, Lord. Turn back to you with all of their hearts. Let repentance come into the hearts of ministers, into the hearts of your people. Let a new order and a new day come in your church, Lord. People who are sold out to you, get the real, that they have the real message of the real gospel first. And that they carry that message wherever they go. We thank you, Lord. We bless you and we praise you, Jesus. We thank you. You know how to turn the hearts of the kings, Lord. You know how to turn the hearts of every powerful person on this earth, Lord, to serve you. And we ask you to turn the hearts of your Christian leaders, your pastors and your apostles and prophets, evangelists and teachers. That they would forget about monetary gain, forget about filthy lucre, and serve you in spirit and in truth, and begin to build your kingdom, Lord, a convert at a time. That people would really be converted and serve you, Lord. No more numbers only and hordes of people in houses, but really converted people who know you, love you, and serve you. That their hearts would be towards you, Lord. Their hearts would be toward you. Their hearts would be toward you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Create in your people a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in your people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's so many good people in the earth, Lord, that love you. We want to be that people, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you bless me to know a, a, a group of people whose heart is perfect towards you. That they want to pray and they want to see your kingdom come. They want also to be blessed, Lord, but not above what you want. And we thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you that we will continue on our watch and continue to pray and continue to dethrone the enemy till he's totally made your footstool. And we honor you, Lord, and we love you and we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. It's almost unbelievable to me that Christians live like they do and joyfully serve God, you know, in some places on the earth. And I'm so thankful to God because you can get really jaded and you can get really cynical sometimes with things that you see. But the things that God can reveal to you are really precious. And those are the things that you hold on to. You know, we hold on to these stories when we think that we're giving too much and doing too much and things aren't happening fast enough for us to help our lives in our little corner that we want to be blessed so badly. You know, think about these people. Think about what's really important, that they can be laboring in a a prison and still want to share Christ with people. You know, and these people really get converted. And so it's it's a good thing there. It, it makes me feel good to be a part of them, too. You know what I'm saying, too, that we are the same people of God in the same family of God. Amen. The same family. So we do everything that we can to help these people. Amen. To help them. So praise God. Amen. So if anybody needs prayer, come on up, put a little music on, little Howard. And then we got to get out, packed and out of here in an hour and a half, okay, roughly from, from where we are now. So. Glory to the Lamb. Glory to the Lamb. 